When you set out to make a documentary, you have a story in mind, but often the story changes because as the truth takes you down different paths, you find different narratives pulling you in. That's what happened with my guest today, Matt Yoka on Whirlybird, which started off an examination of the city of Los Angeles, his hometown and my hometown too, and an inspiration from other films to do something like that. But it ended up being a story about the news, about the mediums that we understand the news in, about helicopter chases and car chases and the people and the lives of the people who record those and the innovators behind them, and more specifically about the family behind the innovation of some of these kinds of news chases and stories and how in one life, one news shooter captured some of the major events in the city of Los Angeles. And in the very next clip, you know, Christmas morning or a birthday for his child, all in an archive that was carefully kept all these years. So the film dives deep into the history of Los Angeles in the last 20 some years, but also story of the medium and of shooting action as it takes place. It's a thrilling, fascinating tale and a personal one. So here we go. Matt, it's great to have you back. We spoke long ago in the before times. Thank you. Right? 2020 Sundance. Yeah. And it's really exciting to see that the film is now, you know, making its way to audiences beyond just Sundance as an Angelino and as a person who lived through a lot of the eras that were reported about and stuff. Love the film, but I think that there's so much application larger than that. And such a great story. It gets into the humanity behind these people. I guess let's just go back to the beginning for a second and talk about, I know this was a long process, like what began the curiosity, the spark to tell this story that Whirly Bird is? Yeah, no, it's good. It's good to talk to you though, because you're right. The, I mean, it was such a long journey to get the movie made. And then now has been such a long journey to get the movie out there. So it's like, this this whole process has moved in such an extreme slow motion that uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's funny think. because I yeah when I talked to you in 2020 we talked a lot about how and that's a that's an article that we put up on No Film School but we talked a lot about how like man it really was a labor of love to dig into this story and go into the archives and like and that was before so much more has happened so this to me is a real endurance. Story. It is. And I, I, you know, I guess I, I, I watched it last night. We did a sneak peek, uh, sort of preview. And I was, I had this fear for a second. I was like, does the movie work anymore? Like, is it, is it like taken so long that it just doesn't even mean anything? I don't even know what I mean by that, but I just was like, not sure about it. But, but then, you know, as soon as, you know, Marika slides open that helicopter door and she turns out to shoot you know, a fire, I could feel the audience kind of getting wrapped up in their story. And, uh, and so it did feel really good to share it with people again. And I think, you know, that's why we make things to, to provide that experience to people. So it's, it, it was definitely a hard year sort of having it hit, essentially hitting pause for a year. Um, but you know, the, the process to get it made, you know, was, was its own kind of endurance test. Yeah. So so getting back to your question, though, I'm sorry, I'm rambling here. The uh, No, no, just like we can, I really want to talk about the 
the experience you've had as a filmmaker from having finished it to where we are today. But I definitely want to do a quick recap on just like, sure. you decided to make this film. And I think if I recall correctly, part of it was uh, the, the movie about Los Angeles. Los Angeles yeah. plays itself. Yeah, Los Angeles plays itself, yes. which is a great movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally think that as time goes by, that's kind of solidified my mind as, as probably the biggest influence in making this film. I, I think ultimately they're, they're quite different, but the, 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 like the kernel of the idea came from Los Angeles plays itself in that for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's a, essentially a film essay. I think you'd call it made by a filmmaker named Tom Anderson and Tom Anderson essentially tells the history of Los Angeles and his relationship to Los Angeles through the many times LA has been depicted on camera in Hollywood films. So it's this kind of amazing mashup of Hollywood films that, that takes you on a journey through the city. And so I really started thinking, you know, Ooh, I, I really want to take my own journey through the city using some sort of source material, essentially. And, you know, I'm also a big fan of, Films like Senna, uh, Asif Kapadia's Senna is like, I just think is a masterpiece and, um, as well as Grizzly Man, Herzog's Grizzly Man. So I really like these archival heavy storytelling character studies. Um, and so for me, what I wanted to do was, and I, I too am from LA. So I wanted to tell a story about LA using some sort of archive. And so I kind of went on a journey to find that and figure out what the story really was and that eventually I started getting fixated on high speed pursuits as a sort of unique LA occurrence. And then particularly that, in the yeah. era that you're covering and right. in the era because because OJ yeah. happens and there's this whole the rise of this kind of news media and the hard hitting like get right in there and like grab the camera and go and that there's something like adventurous and swashbuckling about this whole vibe. <laughs> like it's like a real like so if you want to do something artful and archival and historical, but you also want that compelling drama. Like you found the sweet spot, you know? Yeah. I, I, I was really drawn to the sort of the, it's interesting because I use the phrase like high and low, as far as what the experience of watching the film is, it takes you on these incredible uh, highs and then brings you down to these really, really painful lows, I think. But I also use that term high and low when talking about highbrow and lowbrow, because uh, you know, I think we consider high-speed pursuits to be kind of the lowest brow uh, form of news reporting. And you know, I think some people would even cringe on calling it reporting. I do think there's some more. I think there's more nuance to 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 the to that conversation than it get than it's given credit. But I do think that you know most people are tuning in to watch you know something terrible happen, and and that's not exactly the kind of you know work that I want to make yet uh, here I am exploring the subject matter and putting those kind of images on the screen the b b bombarding you with images of that and and the, the the justification is that it is it is a sort of a, a loftier exploration of what that's all about and more importantly the people who who created that work and and really pioneered it and so uh, you know I really wanted to take you inside the experience of who those people were that that did that did that reporting and and you know of course 
Zoe and Marika, the, the subjects of the film, they did so much more than just reporting on high-speed pursuits. But that was the beginning of the idea. And that's how I came into contact with Zoe. And there's the impact that that has on their lives. Like there's a real like, there's a real impact on how their lives develop and how they feel about one another and their children. And everybody gets wrapped up in this thing and the, the cost of this business, basically. So there's, there's drama there beyond just the images you're bombarding us with. But I, when you say hi, I was just going to actually note because I was, you know, getting back to Los Angeles plays itself. I think where our work really kind of diverged is, is Anderson's film really is sort of like an intellectual journey through the city. And, and what I found myself doing was a much more sort of emotional character focused experience of the city. And so, so yeah, to, to, to your point that that's the family, you know, there's a family at the heart of it and there's human emotion. Like it's, it's less intellectual. It becomes very primal and emotional. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's the that was the idea. Yeah, but I I was gonna what I was gonna add is that and and I want to hear you talk about it a little bit because you talked about high and low kind of like in the images you're depicting. But something I'm really struck by is there's a so growing up in the era I did, I always thought of VHS and some of those mediums as like ugly or mm-hmm. like, but in watching them in the context of the film, they become kind of I, I want to say beautiful in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, that's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like playing with medium like that or like expanding like what the mediums are as like time capsules or whatever, like tell me about the motivation or, or just the, like, like using different forms of video, like Mm -hmm. videos that used to be thought of as cheap, even if they were super expensive in like 1984 or whatever, they were still like, kind of they were not film, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love that kind of imagery and I, I guess to ch- explore why I love that, I, I find myself using the word texture. There's a certain texture to that, those tapes that I just, I, I can't, it's almost a sensory experience that I get with my eyes when I, when I, when I absorb that kind of grittiness of the tape and it is an analog tape. So is it film? No, it's definitely not. But it, it is printing onto these tapes. And so, yeah. you know, you, you get, I think, a quality that you don't quite get. And it captures color sometimes in a way that I think is, is really beautiful. I mean, I think of this, I mean, it was so idyllic. Zoe's, or Bob at the time, is, is filming outside of his house. And his two kids ride up, you know, on a tricycle. And it's like late you know, yeah, that's exactly the, the sequence I think of too, but yeah. Yeah. And like Katie's hair is like golden locks or filling with the sun, the green of the grass. It's, it's very, it's, I think, I think that that camera captured some really beautiful images that said it also is filled with glitches and time <laughs> has kind of decayed a lot of the tapes. So you get this sort of contrast. And I think that's again, this kind of tension of the film where it's like, there's so much beauty and there's like so much kind of ugliness and it kind of is always sort of playing with each other. And you get that even in the, the, the medium itself that it was captured on. And I liked using a lot of the glitches. I mean, when I was editing, we, we had a whole collection, a timeline in Premiere that collected all of our favorite glitches. So we had, we had, we had like, I don't even know, 45 minutes of glitches that were just beautiful that we liked. So <laughs> we would go in and we would, 
snip it and it's all different i mean the colors it could be monochromatic it could be like rainbow you know because like the color bars have since like decayed and have like started like waving into each other i mean it's it was almost like you know some of the still each still was gorgeous i thought and so i tried to incorporate that but one because i think it's really beautiful but also because i wanted to remind the audience that they're watching these home videos that you know, I, I, I like I take you into the archive, into the storage unit in the beginning, and I don't want people to forget throughout the film that they're still watching what's in that archive, you know? That, uh-huh. And so, and so that, the glitch is kind of a signal to that. Yeah, and the, that archive, one of the crazy things about this story is that mm-hmm. that archive combines like the biggest news stories of the time with the tricycle in front of the house. Yeah. Like, it's just like yeah. this crazy juxtaposition. Totally. That they were just like on the same tape on the same tape. <laughs> right? Yeah. In the same way that for, for some of us, it would have been like, you know, your parents recorded over like the wedding with like, you know, an episode of cheers or yeah. something It's just like that. But it's like, it's like <laughs> on, on such an extreme scale, like <laughs> totally you're, that's the perfect comparison. That's, that's kind of the, you know, the thing that I like about, Zoe and Marika's story is I do feel like there's a lot that's familiar and resonates. It's just at this kind of extraordinary scale. So totally. Yeah. And so like talking about the film and I'm, you know, people are going to see it soon, but let's talk about as a filmmaker, you have spent all this time. I know the process of the archival process, the digging, the research, putting it together, and then you get it out there and then you go to Sundance, which is like, you know, one of the great achievements a film can really have and you're at Sundance and then, and, and I, and I want to hear a little bit about like, what was Sundance like, you know, for, with this feature, this was, I, was it your first time at Sundance? Yeah. Yeah. First time ever being first time having a movie there. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. And then, you know, you go through that experience with, with buyers or agents and stuff. And then the pandemic happened so soon after. Right. And now I just, I'm curious, like, how did that impact things and brought us to this point down the line where we're looking at the release coming up? Well, you know, first of all, just say Sundance really is a pretty amazing experience as well as intense. And it's just, it's, 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 it's a lot. It's like a lot of everything. And that's, what's kind of so fun and exciting about it. And, you know, I guess as a filmmaker, they really do make you feel like you made a film, you know? So it's like, they really kind of make you feel that way. And sometimes, you know, I, I guess I got this like imposter syndrome that I'm like, I don't know. It's like, yeah, sure. It's a movie. And they're like, no, you're a filmmaker. You made a movie. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. I guess I did. So anyway, so there, I, I, I love them for that. And it's a really great experience. They had to, con- they had to convince you that you made a movie. Yeah, sort of. yeah. And the audience, the audiences there are so great. And it was like, you know, you do, you work and work and it's not just Sundance, any, any chance when you, finally finish a movie, particularly one where I'm essentially working in a closet with a couple people editing for 10 years or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Hours and hours and hours and hours. And and then you can finally, you know, emerge from that closet and share it with people. That's a really special experience. But, you know, because the film is such a, I really developed it on my own and, and was fortunate enough to get funding and bring on collaborators that we all work together to make it. But I really like, hustled for my movie to get it made to get it to get people interested to get it funded to make it to get it into Sundance it was a very 
so there's almost this, and I, I, I want, I, I hope, I think people would re- relate to this beyond just my experience, but probably for so many people for, uh, quarantine and the pandemic is you're kind of like in this race and you're like sprinting and you're going somewhere, you're trying to get somewhere, you're trying to do something. And then you just kind of, it's like, Nope, sit down. So there was like a little bit of a muscle memory. I had, I had like a muscle memory that I needed to like deprogram to like, just kind of let it be for a minute. So I, I think like when I went into, you know, the film premiered, but it hadn't been released and we were still looking for a distributor and things like that. So I was still very much hustling and I kind of had to, after a couple months into quarantine, just be like, okay, we're just going to hit pause right now. So, so now here we are. So we finally, finally we're was able it to hard? Was it like, there's, there's the old adage is like the hurry up and wait, the poly yeah. this extreme example, but in this extreme example of hurry up and wait, you were hustling and hurrying up and you were literally like, nobody hustles harder, I think, than a filmmaker at Sundance. Like, cause, cause even though, uh, you know, everybody think in some ways you made it when you're there, but in other ways you're like, you're, you're on the one yard line because you're trying so hard to get like to the next thing that gets it in front of the most people. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people were trying to tell me, I think people who had been at Sundance and they know this, that experience and just been at festivals in general. I, I don't even think it's necessarily specific to Sundance, but it's like people were kind of like, okay, just enjoy this, you know, enjoy this moment. And I don't know if I fully did as much. And I kind of, I almost want to like go back to Sundance with another film just so I can like enjoy the process a little bit more um, because yeah, you're really going for it. And, and I do think though, it's true that, that, you know, you're, the film festival is the, is in a lot of ways like the first step. And, and mm-hmm. so it's not the, it's not the end. It's sort of the first step in trying to get your movie out there. So, you know, if you're passionate about a project, you, you're going to keep hustling for it. But I think, you know, it's the only way to look at it. It's just that this is a very, humbling experience and a learning experience and, and an opportunity in some ways to kind of reflect more than I think I would have if I just kept on running. So, you know, so you got the sort of Zen and the art of, of marketing a movie or something. Cause like, as soon as you got out of the Sunday, when you hit pause, like, yeah, I think so many people and filmmakers and aspiring filmmakers have to deal with this at some point, but there's a moment when you do have to hit pause so what did you do? Like, and how did you psychologically like, and what did you just actually do? Like, uh, you were like, <laughs> I have this finished movie and I have to hit pause on it now until there's a market again. <laughs> I mean, I'm like the one, I feel like I'm a terrible person to, to talk. I mean, I, I don't think I hand, I, I don't think I handled it, you know, terribly, but I don't think I knew what I was like, everybody else just totally disoriented by it. I think, uh, you know, I mean, when just kind of looking back at the last year, I, I, I really started watching more movies. Mm-hmm. I, I, this, I mean, this la the, this, this time of quarantine, I, I really, you know, I, I watch movies all the time, but I, this, I got much more almost methodical about it and I took a lot more pleasure in it, I think. And it, and it provided me with, I, I honestly like a, you know, some sort of like companionship during, during quarantine. And so I just watched that. T- I've never watched that many movies in my life. I, I, I went to, I go to this video store in LA, shout out to video tech in South Pasadena. Nice. Uh, and I just would go there and I'd rent maybe four movies a week and I would just kind of work through those. And, uh, and so I guess when you ask like, how did I kind of deal with it as a filmmaker? I think I sort of just went back to being a film watcher 
totally. And just like really kind of taking it in and, um, and yeah, and I just watched a ton of movies and, uh, and then I started kind of letting my mind go from this project and starting to think about new projects, but it was still in a much more kind of casual way. It wasn't like, Oh, I got to make a film now. I was just, yeah, like, yeah. what kind of film do I want to make now? And so this is, uh, what stories am I interested in? Kind of like rediscovering that. So I think that's kind of what was going on during quarantine is just sort of hitting pause on this film. Yeah. And I like, I, I love that because I do think film watching is a great source of inspiration often for people or just a reminder of why, you know, you can get caught up in the industry part of things and lose sight of the, what you love. Mm-hmm. What motivates you? Was there anything you struck upon that like really like you like stands Ooh. out as just like that, that I love that, or I want to follow up on that somehow or, and then are there projects you have that you're excited about? Or are you now you're back a hundred percent in like whirly bird world. I'm trying to think like which uh, moment during quarantine, like what rabbit hole to go into, but <laughs> yeah. um, of, of film watching. There um, were many. You know which film I, I hadn't seen, which just completely blew me away, and 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 I'm, I know I'm not the only one. I think this one's a really popular amongst cinephiles. But I I saw uh, Uncle Boon Me, who recalls past lives, the Thai film, and and that just and I think part of that had to do with the time in which I saw it being in quarantine, having the space to really let that wash over me. But that film is that film is so incredible, and it it's. Um, and I, yeah, I highly recommend that. I found that to be just such a um, a moving film. But I also saw Close Up for the for the first time. I just saw that recently, the Iranian film, uh, which yeah. is this like docu. I mean, that movie's so crazy good. And I was just thinking about it, you know, in particular. Um, I feel like most documentaries struggle with the ending. You know, it's a hard it's hard to end a documentary because I think the that what we've come to expect from the ending of movies doesn't necessarily reflect life necessarily. So trying to find that like kind of, you know, a climax and a conclusion and a catharsis that I find that to be pretty tough, but the end of close up, I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe he <laughs> nailed the ending. So good. So do you think anyway. that like side question on that? Cause you're a documentary yeah. filmmaker. Do you yeah. think that has to come naturally from whatever the subject is. And if it doesn't, you just have to live with not having it. Or do you think there's a way to craft something? Like how, how do you approach it? Like, that's a great top. Like I, I'm, I have no idea, you know, I mean, I'm still trying to figure that out too. I think that I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't like feeling like there's a sort of bullshit, like, bow put on the end of documentaries i i it really turns me off and it feels like such a cop out to like the the hard work that is making a film to sort of like just sort of say like oh and it's all here's it's a tight yeah. finish just yeah. for the sake of doing that i think we i don't think we should be as concerned about creating endings that feel like a definitive conclusion or even worse, like a, like sort of survey wrap up kind of thing. I just don't typically like that. I mean, that's just me speaking. That's my taste. But I, I, but that said, I think that what we do want to look for is a cathartic ending. So I think like creating something that, that just feels like you have, 
tapped into the, the furthest depths that the film needs to go. And that is sort of satisfied you as the filmmaker and, and the audience uh, in, in the journey. I, it's, I, I mean, I'm just throwing out like vague words here, but I know that makes like, sense. You mean like there has a, to be yeah. an emotional depth. That's, yeah. Yeah. Emotional is the word. It's like, I think, and it doesn't necessarily even mean to, when I say emotional, it doesn't need to be like serious or sad. It's just something that just feels cathartic. It's like, it's hard because a lot of these stories continue. And I mean, I'm talking a lot about Whirlybird here because I think their stories continue. And I really, yeah. want, and I think that there is a lot more story to tell about them. But for me, the film really was about the relationship between Zoe and Marika. And so I think sometimes when people see the film, they get hung up on wanting to know more about the, these lives, which is understandable. They're fascinating lives. But the way that the film is structured is really about this relationship. And when the relationship comes to, to an end, so, so does the film, essentially. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't whether or not that's a satisfying ending to people, I don't know. But it, it, it yeah. felt for me like a, the, the, the end. Of the story, you had to find something, right? Because because the story keeps going, you had mm -hmm. to find something that did have a, a conclusion, and that's well, kind I mean, of the last it. flight. You know, they're they're in the helicopter together. The the film opens with, you know, not to give too much of it away, but you know, Zoe's in the helicopter recapping her, you know, all the all the amazing work that they did, and then you circle back to that flight at the end of the film, and. The film goes on a little bit longer to provide, I think, the, 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 the context, the emotional depth that I think we need. But essentially, it bookends with that scene. You know, it starts at the end and then finishes there. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that we're talking about so much content to sift through to create just one little story. You know, that, that you had a hard, like, like picking something like that had to be really challenging because you could have gone on for hundreds of hours you know? yeah <laughs> i mean I, focusing on their relationship did give us i think the necessary parameters in in what from the archive we use and how we use it so yeah so you know even the historical stuff really is kind of driving their relationship it's it's yeah. you know all of that that can kind of segues to something i like to finish on um mm -hmm. because we're running out of time but like when you make a film when you start out to make a documentary, you could start from a lot of different points, but like advice, if you were advising a filmmaker, what would you, who is like, I have a topic I'm interested in. I want to make a documentary. You know, hmm. what have you learned from this, the process <laughs> that you would tell them to, to keep in mind? And I, 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 I tag it onto that last part because I feel like saying you found a story that you were like, that's the piece that I'm going to, but there's so many things you could, you could focus on. There, there's documentaries like the world is wide open, you know? It's funny because a lot of people say, you know, start with a small like story and let the big themes kind of emerge, you know? And I think that I totally did that the wrong way. I started with the big, I mean, the big idea being like, I'm going to call it the story of Los Angeles, you know, it was like, <laughs> what does that even yeah. Yeah. mean? And so, and then I kind of whittled it down, but I do think regardless of sort of, I, I think regardless of how you start, and I think everybody kind of comes into making movies, particularly documentaries in so many different ways. The, the one thing that I really come back to, and I, and I was like almost militant with this, with Whirlybird is, is stay small and stay focused. I think like the, 
the more you can focus your story, the more compelling and rich I think it can be. So, and I think with documentaries in particular, there's always this tension of like, how much context do I need to add? How many like expert voices do I need to bring in? This is one type of documentary, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's like, I think less is more often when it comes to storytelling. And uh, that's, I guess, coming from somebody who's used like 2000 hours of tape to, uh, <laughs> to make a movie. So but next I, time you're going to start small. Is what yeah, you're I think <laughs> that's the idea. Yeah. I'm just going to really milk like one great clip. That's how I'm gonna do <laughs> you don't want to do another 2000 hours of, of coming. I, like I didn't think so, but you know, suddenly like the itch, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Matt. I really appreciate it. It was fun yeah. to catch up with you again and good luck yeah. with the film. Thanks so much, George. Yeah, it was a really uh, fun conversation and it's, it's nice to see you again after. Yeah. <laughs> Likewise, after all yeah. this time. <laughs> yeah. All um, right. Talk soon, man. Thanks again. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Matt for coming on the podcast. It was really great to catch up with him and nice to see that the film has gotten its release. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel. We have a video up that is a tutorial on using miniatures in Premiere and doing amazing special effects that you can do entirely by yourself at home with toys, cheap miniatures, all kinds of stuff, and Premiere which many of you probably already have. So if you want to add a little texture to your world and your VFX and the stories you're telling visually, this is a great tutorial for you. Be sure to check out other stories at nofilmschool.com. Like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram. And thank you so much for listening.